Welcome to Unsolicited, the podcast that gives fictional characters advice they did not ask for. I'm Emily Blake. And I'm Owen Evans. Today we're discussing Mr. McGregor, the antagonist in Peter Rabbit. It's a short story, so our information about this character is limited. For those who aren't familiar with the story, essentially we open on a small rabbit home <laughs> and the mother in the in the family says, whatever you do, don't go into Mr. McGregor's garden. I need to go out for the day. But when your father went to his garden, Mrs. McGregor cooked him into a pie, <laughs> which for me would be a pretty terrifying image as a, a baby rabbit. <laughs> and so... Well, three siblings. <laughs> go ahead. Well, I was going to say, so, so Peter, having been told, absolutely, whatever you do, do not go here. His uh, natural response is, of course, to... Uh, explore a little bit not for any especially great need either he seems to just be snacking <laughs> in the garden and he does sort of get caught <laughs> mr mcgregor sees him right away and comes over to try and and capture him and leads him on a merry chase yeah. through the garden well maybe, maybe not, not so, so merry <laughs> i gotta you know i gotta give some respect to peter you know he'll just he'll do anything for a snack and that is that is the type of uh, personality trait i can really respect yeah, I mean, I think it's deeply relatable <laughs> to a lot of us. And while we could talk for ages about Peter, we actually are going to focus on Mr. McGregor today. Mm. We don't know a ton about him, um, but what we do know raises some questions. So we know that his wife cooked Peter's dad an, a pie. That's, that's yeah, not great. Yeah, uh, We do. know that he chased Peter in his garden. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, we know that he chased Peter in his garden and we know that he made Peter's clothes into a scarecrow. So my first question for you is if you were working in your garden and a rabbit came in and was eating some of the food, but he was wearing clothes, like he's wearing a jacket and shoes. <laughs> what's your first gut instinct? How do you respond? Yeah. Well, you know, my first instinct would be, uh, to to find out whose house he escaped from, you know, I would imagine. Sure. Of course, after being overwhelmed by cuteness. Yeah, well, and if that happened in the <laughs> modern day, it wouldn't probably be that, that weird. Um, this story was originally published in 1902. So at that time period, not a mm. ton of people had extra resources to make clothes for, for rabbits. And I wonder if, sure, yeah. if your instinct in that time period might be a little bit more magical to assume <laughs> that some anthropomorphic <laughs> right. qualities to this rabbit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's some Disney level stuff going on there. Yeah, I, I, I'm just a little curious about that. In the story, Mr. McGregor doesn't seem necessarily set on ill for Peter. He's trying to capture him in a sieve, which seems as benign a, an implement as one might be able to use for a, a purpose like that. Um, so mm. I, I wonder if he intends harm. Um, I'm a little bit wary of ascribing the the death of Peter's father to Mr. McGregor, because all we know for sure is that Mrs. McGregor cooked him in a pie. Um but I, I would tend to think that Mr. McGregor probably caught him, and I'm not sure why I think that. Right. Well, and, you know, if you go back to the perspective of being the early the early 1900s, um, when maybe a man such as Mr. McGregor would, would not tolerate being even seen in the kitchen. 
Sure. Uh, so perhaps he was desiring rabbit pie, but uh, it was uh, Mrs. Mrs. McGregor's responsibility to to make it. Yeah, maybe so. Um, either way, I do, I don't know if we know what Mr. McGregor necessarily intended for Peter, um, but I'd go out on mm-hmm. a limb to say that it's not great, right? <laughs> I I agree. I agree. It's also kind of ominous that. You know, he's, he chases Peter for a little while. Peter slips through in various ways. And in that process, he loses his, his nice clothes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you have to kind of guess that this is, he probably deals with pests a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I And uh, fertilizers probably were not that widespread of a thing at, at that time. I, well, actually, I, you know, I, I actually, I have no idea, actually, to be honest. Well, I think fertilizers have been around for a long time. I don't know what pesticides might have looked like, and I think that might right. be what you're might have been what you're looking for. Um, yeah, but so this is this is probably a, a, a an issue that Mr. McGregor deals with all the time. Um, and from a you know farming perspective, I I would imagine having no experience with farming, but I would imagine the more you let pests into your garden, the more pests you're likely to attract. Sure. Um, Sure. So that, yeah. I think it's a little ominous, though, that he takes these lost clothes and turns them into a scarecrow. On the one hand, likely highly effective. On the other, how creeped out would you be if you, for whatever (laughs) reason, were trespassing, lost your clothes as you were getting getting out of there, and came (laughs) back to find them as a scarecrow? I know. Plus, you have to ask, you know, how effective is a scarecrow made of tiny little rabbit clothes actually going to be? (laughs) Okay, so I did some casual Googling before our episode because I have no idea how much a rabbit eats. It sounds like, (laughs) for the most part, creatures are avoiding Mr. McGregor's garden. Um, But I wanted to know what, how much Peter might have eaten. Now, we're going to assume he's mm-hmm. a young rabbit, but if a rabbit is full grown, if an eastern cottontail, which I think is what Peter is, maxes mm-hmm. at about three pounds, and they eat a cup and a half of greens a day. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So we yeah. know that Peter ate lettuce and French beans and radishes. A cup and That's a half right. split between three crops. Man, he, he did not take very much. He he didn't no he didn't take a whole lot, um, plus he ate so much that he like got sick like he gorged himself, so um, you know that he was probably on the the upper side of of that average, but I mean in the grand scheme of things that's you know yeah that's really not a whole lot of food, mm-hmm. um, I you know I, I have to look at this through Mr McGregor's perspective you know, because I I I he, here's what I think he should have done. I think he should have a little, a tiny little garden outside of his fenced area, uh, where he can provide um, food for the the wild creatures around him. I think that would be a great idea. Yeah, he could be living kind of a Cinderella life if he wanted to. Like he has talking <laughs> yeah, animals course, around yeah. <laughs> who are trying to be a part of his homestead. Yeah, he just doesn't. He's so cold hearted. He doesn't want to hang out with them. Lost so sad. opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I really, I think there are two main perspectives that we can take. 
One is the generosity perspective, which is mm-hmm. definitely what you're what you're talking through. Um, so let's start there. If if you were to respond generously to creatures, maybe that looks like having an additional garden that's intended just for their use. How else could you respond generously to a creature that is coming to your house to eat? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Of, I mean, uh, of of course, uh, you want to be as as humane as possible and not bring any harm to 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 any animals. Um, and I don't actually know what is what is a, was it a, a sieve. The, mm-hmm. the Mr. McGregor. Yeah, like a strainer. Okay. Oh, it's a strainer. Okay. All right. Um. So so Peter Peter would not have died if if he was unless of course he was baked into a pie. Sure, that'd <laughs> probably kill him pretty fast. Yeah. Or maybe quite um, slowly. Oh God. <laughs> Peter Rabbit, the rated R version. <laughs> Slow and painful yeah. death. Bloodthirst. <laughs> Um, it's just a uh, live stream of, of the inside of the oven. <laughs> oh God! I'm sorry. We probably don't have to put that in the episode. <laughs> yeah, probably not. Um, but oh, take me <laughs> back. What were we? What were we getting at there? Um. Oh, uh, uh, generosity, right? Other than the, other than the 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 creature garden. Yeah. So. I think there's something to be said for providing for the needs of others when we can. Um, Mm -hmm. One of my formative teaching experiences was when I was teching a marching band and one of the other staff members um, I felt at that time was pretty needy and was demanding a lot of attention from me and from other staff members and from a lot of the students. Um, And I kind of felt was maybe taking more than they were giving in the situation. Mm -hmm. And I talked to the director about it at that point in time. And I said, Hey, I, you know, I'm, I'm frustrated with this. And his response was kind of, kind of shock. And he said, well, if you know what they need, why aren't you just giving it to them? Mm -hmm. If you know, this person needs attention, give them attention. If you know that they need love and care and kindness, give them those things. What is this impulse to draw away from that? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something that I think about pretty, pretty regularly. It, it is not easy to do. It's not easy to do at all. And I fail at it frequently. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but now I really try to think about what, what is the need I'm seeing here and how can I respond to that need instead of trying to teach someone a lesson all the time. Right. Yeah. You know? Right. Absolutely. And that really is the, in my opinion, the, the most challenging type of generosity, you know, because it's, it's, it's easy to, to, to provide for people in a way that like, that is familiar to you, but to, to see somebody that, that has a need that, you know, that, that maybe you find invalid, you know, to be able to provide for that need and at the expense of, you know, your own feelings to be able to put that, that impulse aside and, and, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, serve, serve that person anyway. I think that's providing for a need that is a want is so humbling. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, that person was not going to die if I didn't give them the attention that Mm -hmm. they wanted. And by the same token, Peter does not sound like he's in a situation where he's going to die if he's not eating from Mr. McGregor's garden. Yeah. And I, I think there's a real balance to be struck between someone who wants to provide what is 
air quotes needed to those around versus what someone who's willing to provide for actual needs for someone who is in danger of starving. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's definitely... And I think it's a lot to ask of someone to to give of their garden to the animals around because a garden takes a lot of work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You've got you've got yourself and, and Mrs. McGregor to feed. Per, perhaps there's children that aren't mentioned in the book. You know, we don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, in our world around us, I mean, you, you see, you know, there are so many people out there with, with so much um, and, and so many people with so little, you know, the income... Uh, uh, disparity is the largest it's ever been. Um, At but, least in you know, the United States. I, I don't yeah. know how it is in other areas. Yeah. But you have to have systems in place to, you know, to to get that distribution to happen in a, in a fair and equal way. You know, that's why we have governments and, and taxes and, and whatnot. Um, but, you know, and that's that's what Mr. McGregor, I think, is lacking. He, you know, he can't it's not realistic for him to just allow creatures to come and and feed themselves whenever they're hungry because there wouldn't be anything left over. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, if he had if he had a, a an established way to to share um, his, you know, he he's obviously cultivated a, a, a wonderful garden and and we assume has plenty of excess, um, to be able to, to care for the needs of others. So he just has to, you know, or he should, he doesn't have to, no one, no one has to do anything, but he should, um, you know, find, find some ways to, to, uh, provide, you know, provide beyond what, what will fill his family's needs. Yeah. You know, a a beautiful example I see of this in, in our modern world is the little free library system. Yeah. Have you seen those? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Those are okay, cool. Okay, so explain how those work. So little free libraries um, are things that you see, um, I guess, mostly in cities. I, I've seen them. I've seen them around Portland, uh, where I live now, and definitely in Seattle, um, where I grew up. Um, and they're cool. It's it's a little box kind of in front of somebody's house, and you it usually has a door. You pull the door open, and and there are some shelves of books. And if you find something that you think would interest you, um, it's like a, a take one leave one kind of situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's cool. I've also seen uh, little free fridges outside, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, like little little food popular. libraries. Yeah. Um, and that's that's something that I definitely think is really cool and, and would hope to see more of. I wonder if a structure like that might have worked for Mr. McGregor. Yeah. Like, man, I'm really tired of these sentient <laughs> rabbits coming into my garden. Um, maybe yeah. I'll leave them a, a library of tiny clothes and also a few of the garden scraps. Like these yeah. radishes don't look good enough for my family to eat. So I'll leave these ones behind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great idea. And then, and then you know, you, you put out a, a set amount, and when it's gone, it's it's gone, and and the poor Peter will have to wait until the next day. But um, but then, that's there for him. Yeah, well, and I I think for me, one of the critical takeaways from from this conversation is the idea that generosity isn't just about supplementing needs. Generosity is often about giving what we can to those who just want things badly, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. 
Okay, so I said there were two ways that we could really think about this. Um, the first was that perspective of generosity, but the other one that I, I think about all the time on this podcast is boundaries. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, we do talk about that a lot. Yeah, yeah. well, and I, I wonder if there's an argument that in chasing Peter Rabbit, Mr. McGregor is just setting realistic and reasonable boundaries for for his home. I don't yeah. think any of us persecute people who stand up to trespassers. And ultimately, mm-hmm. that's what's happening here, right? Mm-hmm. Peter Rabbit is trespassing, and Mr. McGregor said, uh-uh. But typically, our response to trespassers is to try to get them off of the property, not to try to yeah. capture them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do you think about that dynamic? Is he within his rights, assuming that Peter and Mr. McGregor in this fictional situation are equals? Do we think it's realistic for, for Mr. McGregor to be able to or be permitted, I suppose, to trap Peter? Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, I mean, I suppose probably yes. You know, if you just think about the, the trespassing laws that we have today. Um, I but I mean, in my personal opinion, I, I think of, of course not that, you know, that's that's it's not very nice. It's not very nice to, to shoo someone away ever if they if they need something or even if they, you know, want to um, connect with you or, or whatever, not. Not implying that Peter and, and Mr. McGregor would would have any kind of personal connection. Although, if it was a Disney movie, they def- they definitely would. Sure. So, Mr. McGregor, you really missed out on that one. I so I think, I think um, this idea of setting boundaries also ties into our little free library thing. You know, that's that's um, uh, that's a, one, a a good response from Mr. McGregor to say, okay, I need this much food to to do what I need to do, um, and then. Uh, anything else uh, I'm willing to donate to people who need it. Um, and I think I, I, you know, I, I, I understand the way he responded. Definitely. Um, you know, because he has a family to feed, like you do have to respect that boundary. Um, but you know, just in the spirit of kindness, um, let's assume hypothetically that, you know, instead of Peter, we have uh, a human, a human um, that is approaching Mr. McGregor's house for whatever reason. Um, out of the spirit of kindness, I, I think you know the right thing to do would be to talk to that person and and understand what they what they need. I think you've hit on something really important too, which is the idea that the little free library system is both an act of generosity and a boundary. In creating a little free library, you're saying, here are books I'm willing to share, and I'm not expecting anything back from you. Take a book, leave a book if you want to, um, do do what you want to do. But Mm -hmm. you're not saying, here is my personal library, take anything you like. Exactly, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you got to fill your own cup first. You, you You have to, you know, satisfy yourself so that you have the the gas in the tank to to provide for for other people yeah the other system that my my reflection on those boundaries made me think about a little bit is our justice system here in the united states Mm -hmm. Yeah. so peter is quite young 
And in the American justice system, we supposedly really change our response to transgressions based on the age of the person who committed a crime. Um, So we have a juvenile justice system that persecutes people up to the age of 18. And then Mm -hmm. if you're 18 or older, you're subject to an entirely different justice system. Mm-hmm. And I, I really, honestly, as I started thinking about this episode, I had no idea what the actual difference between those <laughs> justice systems was. Mm-hmm. So as I started looking into it, it sounds like the basic idea is that the primary purpose of the juvenile justice system is rehabilitation. And the adult justice system is intentionally more punitive. And That why? in and of itself, I think, is a really interesting conversation. <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. We could talk for three whole episodes about that, I bet. Sure. Do you have a gut reaction to that? Yeah, it's, it's, it's abhorrent. That's, that's just a, 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 a disgusting um, way to, to build a system. I mean, you know, what is the purpose for that? What is the thought behind it? Like, that just makes absolutely no sense. Well, and one of my biggest takeaways from my time teaching so far, I work primarily with high school students, is that at the age of 18, almost none of my students are who they're going to be as true adults. Our our government systems view them as adults, and often their families and sometimes they view them as adults. And that's fair. You have to have some kind of boundary where you say, this is the age I'm going to call adulthood great. Um, But my students, when they graduate, are not done growing. They're not close to done growing. So I find it really troubling that our justice system essentially starts going, yeah, you should have it figured out by now. You're 18. (laughs) You should know what's going on. And sure, there are some crimes that you probably should know are wrong by 18. Probably shouldn't be killing people by that stage. Like, Mm -hmm. you should know that. Um, You should have enough decision-making ability that like manslaughter is not really a thing you know and but um in in a way that true children young children might do something incredibly dangerous to someone else without realizing right yeah. it mm-hmm. means there's been a real supervision issue yeah. but it's like yeah. young kids don't have that that sense of foresight or understanding of cause and effect and so they could do something really dangerous without us ascribing the same kind of credit that we would an 18-year-old. But yeah. of course, our brains aren't aren't done developing until we're much older. Mm-hmm. And even when we are much older, our brains are still capable of learning and have a high degree of plasticity and are, are able to continue absorbing and utilizing information, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, we've gotten a little bit off topic here well but but, so but before we leave this topic though i mean my question is you know why what would be the problem with 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 all levels of of the justice system being focused on on rehabilitation i mean that's what it's all about right and you as a teacher and you know i i know that you see this all the time i mean what type of punishment is more effective for you like can you respond to that in Washington state schools, we are pretty focused on restorative justice. Restorative justice is the the idea that when a, a student does something wrong, their, their punishment, and I, I use that word sort of casually in this setting, their mm-hmm. punishment or consequence should, A, probably be related to whatever they did wrong. Mm-hmm. 
be to whatever degree possible should probably be fixing whatever whatever harm they caused right. and see they need to have a part in choosing themselves yeah so so if they don't think that their punishment is fair or that it's productive um there it's not doing them any good mm-hmm. for instance one of the the common sort of older punishments was writing lines <laughs> um I a line from the Harry Potter series comes to me. I must not look like a b- baboon's backside. <laughs> um, but, but like writing about whatever thing they have done done wrong. Uh, Harry at one point is given lines and he has to write, "I must not tell lies." Um, but yes. that doesn't actually fix the problem in any way. No, the student doesn't see it as valuable. Yeah, um, and You're it's just not creating more resentment. New skills. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I I wonder if there is a restorative solution for for Peter Mr. McGregor and Peter. Yeah. yeah, is is Peter with it enough and does Mr. McGregor know that he's a magical enough rabbit <laughs> that yeah. he could go, "Hey, I'd really like you to do a little bit of planting with me." Mhm. Mhm. Glad yeah. that you stuck around long enough to, you know, is is there something more effective? Yeah, totally. And it always starts with a conversation, right? So, you know, assuming that Peter does have the ability to to speak to Mr. McGregor, um, that's 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 how that's how it all starts. I mean, with with my students when I when I was a teacher, you know, that's that uh, that always yielded the best results. You know, when when instead of just uh, a prescribing a, a punishment to to a student with, without any any conversation, versus you know, hearing from the student. Uh, trying to listen, figure out exactly what was going on, and then working together, like you were saying, um, so the kid yep. has some say in what's going to happen to them. And often, when I've taken that approach, I've found out that the actual problem we were dealing with was nothing like the problem I thought we were. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've so I've like, ran into that too. Yeah, yeah. A very surface level one is, hey, why are you always eating in class? I this is banned. I really need you to not have food in your mouth. Yeah, and the kid will go, well because of this stuff that's happening at home, we, we don't get to school in time for me to eat breakfast here and we don't have breakfast at home. So I'm just really hungry by the time I'm in third period, you know? Uh, And that's easy to fix. You know, I, I keep snacks around and I can take care of that and we can Mm -hmm. come up with a plan to make sure that someone else grabs breakfast for you, or you can come here and get a snack, or you can hang on to a snack and eat when you leave, or you can take a couple of bites before we get rolling and then you can finish whatever you didn't after the bell has rung again. Problem solved. And, and that student has, you know, probably has uh, so much more respect for you after being cared for like that. Mm Mm-hmm. The other thing that I've been thinking about a lot as I've reflected on our justice system and the way that it treats youthful transgressions versus older transgressions is the idea of recidivism. Recidivism is the likelihood that someone will return to prison after being released from prison or from Mm. juvenile detention. Uh Um, According to the National Center for Justice, 44% of U.S. cases recidivate in the first year after release and 77 percent of people released from our our juvenile detention and or excuse me from our adult detention recidivate within five years yeah um 
that's, Washington's that's a, a really little bit sad. lower. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I, I mean, that's a really sad st- statistic. And that just proves exactly uh, the point that, you know, what what is the the point of, you know, being more punitive towards towards adults? And, and what is that accomplishing? You know, absolutely nothing. Yeah. In Washington, we only had a 32 percent recidivism rate in 2022. Um, But a big piece of that is that the Washington justice system has, over the course of the last several years, moved much more towards supporting needs over creating punishments. So, for Mm -hmm. instance, in a lot of King County, we've focused, instead of putting people in prison for drug use and that kind of stuff, we focused on creating safe injection sites, which means that users are dealing with a lot less risk from use. It Mm -hmm. also means that people who are trying to stop as many addicts are have an opportunity to work with healthcare professionals and and receive some support for the very real illness of addiction yeah yeah exactly yeah drug addiction is uh, you know that's that shouldn't that shouldn't be seen as a crime that's just completely backwards right so this all brings us back to peter rabbit and here's how (laughs) ultimately recidivism is pretty high when first transgressions are young so the younger you commit your first crime the more likely you are to recidivate and just from a statistical perspective that makes sense because you're you're going to be alive a lot longer and you have a lot more years in which to potentially recidivate right yeah Uh but there's something also to be said for the formative nature of those experiences And I wonder how Mr. McGregor's response to Peter at this first transgression that we're aware of might impact his future. Yeah, you know, I wonder what's going through Peter's head uh, when he gets home. You know, is is he thinking, oh, man, that was so cool. I'm going to go back and, and get another snack tomorrow. Or, yeah, is, is he maybe a little freaked out? Like, that that's a really good question. It doesn't really tell you in the story. Um, it tells us a little bit. It tells us that he's not feeling great and that he, he goes to bed and he doesn't get the delicious dinner that his siblings get. Oh, that's right. But, yeah. yeah, but you're right. It doesn't tell us very much about whether he's likely to do it again. Yeah. With, so we know about his personality that he maybe is a little impulsive because he, upon being told, you know, do not do this, his, his gut reaction was to do that thing. Um, so that gives us a little, a little information about who he is. Um, and that maybe he would be prone to, to falling to that temptation again. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, he did get chased around by a giant, scary man so that's that's pretty frightening too (laughs) yeah i gotta tell you this conversation has been a lot more involved than i expected it to be based (laughs) on yeah based on this children's story (laughs) i know we've talked about we've talked about generosity we've talked about uh, 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 justice system. We've talked about little free libraries, all kinds of things, and you know that's <laughs> that's so cool to me. That's that's one of the things I I love so much about stories like this. You know, they're there's there. It's a short story. It's the children's book is probably what like fifteen twenty pages, but it carries so much, so much meaning, and so much that you can get out of it. I think 
there's something to be said. We talk about children's literacy and the importance of reading to kids all the time. Yeah. But I think there's something to be said for the quality of the books that we read. Um, no shade, certainly, against Junie B. Jones or Captain Underpants. Uh, but I think some of these shorter stories have a lot to reflect on. And mm-hmm. I hope that they continue to be a critical part of our literature. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, so we are approaching the the close of this episode. So Emily, what would you say is your your one piece of advice that you would give to Mr. McGregor? I think if you see wild animals wearing clothes, you should assume magic. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that is honestly a big lesson for all of us. I think it's important that we create space for magic in our lives. Yeah, I like that a lot. I think you're absolutely yeah. right. What would you tell Mr. McGregor? Well, so we we discussed the the idea of putting some systems in place to to share his his plentiful uh, abundance of food. Um, but I think the real root of the issue is that it seems to me that Mr. McGregor just isn't a very kind-hearted person. And so that's what my advice is going to be to Mr. McGregor. I, I think he just needs to do some soul searching and, and find, find, find a way to, uh, um, to change his perspective, you know, and, and, and see through other people's eyes. Um, I think that's really wise. And I, I think it's a lesson that a lot of us can take because I think Mr. McGregor's reaction is a pretty natural one. Mm-hmm. But our first instinct isn't always our best instinct. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, on that note, Unsolicited is a Salty Pup production. Music by Tristan Hurd. Publicity by Allison Biggie. Audio engineering by Robbie Rutherford. And art by Erica Peterson. Thanks also to my co-host, Owen Evans. My name is Emily Blake. Thanks for listening.